Yeah, I have the privilege of continuing our series in Malachi uh, this morning, and I know it's only this is only the third week of it, but I have uh, really enjoyed uh, what the series has meant for me, even outside of exploring the book of Malachi. It's been real cool to make our way through a more challenging book, and uh, for me, uh, in my personal readings in the morning, I'm now making my way through the, the book of Ezekiel, which is a challenging one, and usually one that I kind of just read and don't know what to make sense of and, and keep on going. But because we've been diving deep into a difficult book like Malachi, it's, it's really challenged me and caused me to, to dive deep into books like that as well. So um, I'm really enjoying our, making our way through this and just how it's affecting things uh, beyond our study in this book as well. Um, and, and I'm particularly excited for the passage that we're going to be exploring uh, this morning. As we were putting together this series and we came to this passage, I, I was so keen. I was like, put me down for that one. I'm really keen uh, to speak to those verses. Because they are verses that have, um, have really been, uh, really resonate with me and have been true uh, for me in my life. And, and the truth that we're going to find within them is something that I have experienced uh, for myself, and so I, I just love what God has to say here. You see, in my high school years, um, I pretty much did all that I could uh, to push myself away from God and, and have very little to do with faith. Um, I sort of had this silent plan in my head that uh, I would do as much as I needed to to, to appear to be Christian in home and, and around my family and that sort of thing. And then sometime around when I would turn 18 or somewhere in there, I would move out of home and, and kind of just let the Christian stuff slip away and, and until my family kind of came to terms with that and then just, just leave it be and, and go on with my life. Um, and in the meantime, what I would do is just kind of live a bit of a double life, right? When I was at school or when I was in the, in the evenings or on the weekends, I'd be living one sort of life with my friends and then um, I would come to church on Sunday with my family um, and meet with my mentor who was a Christian, uh, which sort of backfired and ended up having a profound impact on me. Um, but, but originally my plan was to just kind of play this game and, um, and just make it seem like I was interested in faith for as long as I needed to so I could then skip out and do what I wanted. Um, and so this kind of went on for my whole high school career. Uh, it started off with what seemed to be pretty small things when I was 13, 14, just like skipping class with my friends and um, the language that I used, what I watched, what I listened to, um, getting into a few fights and things like that. And then from the age of 14 to 17, it sort of it progressed and it turned into things like uh, drinking at parties and um, frequent use of pornography and, and often allowing myself to, to be the person to push things and um, get involved in inappropriate relationships and that sort of thing. And even, even um, push myself in ways that even some of my non-Christian friends weren't sure if they were ready to do that yet. I wanted to kind of be known as that guy that would, would give something a go. And, and to be honest, the, uh, trying to live a double life like that, it really took a toll. It really took a toll. Um, it, was, it was a heavy thing to carry. And, and to be honest, I didn't even really like my life. Even the part that I thought I wanted to pursue that I was going to chase after con- um, completely after I turned 18, I, I wasn't enjoying it, um, and I wasn't enjoying myself. And so because of that, I, I got more careless. I got more reckless. Um, even one night, I went to a huge house party at my neighbor's house, uh, which is a pretty dumb thing to do, right? But I, I just didn't care anymore. I didn't care if I got caught. Uh, I just wanted to be able to go one way or the other and uh, kind of uh, free myself from trying to, to do both. Um, and and Because even my friends, my friends didn't know that my um, family were Christians. I kind of tried to keep them away from that and keep that a secret so that I could live both lives the way that I wanted to. Um, and so I wanted, to, I wanted to just be able to go one way or the other. And uh, so eventually I got caught. 
I got caught. I got careless. Um, I got reckless, and uh, my parents caught me. Uh, they caught me after that house party at, at, the, at the neighbor's house. Um, and at the time, I was 17, and I was wrapping up high school and getting ready to head off to uni um, later that year. And uh, that summer, my parents, they had booked me in to go spend a few weeks in the States with some good Christian friends over there uh, to just kind of help me um, spend some time with some good people and some good influences around me before I headed off to uni. And so I went over to the States, and while I was there, I went along to like a Christian youth camp uh, with some friends, and um, and then God just met me there. He just met me there. There was this guy, he, he shared his testimony, and his story didn't sound that different to my own, and, um, and where he ended up was a place that I didn't want to go. And so God just met me in that place, and, and he made clear to me that, uh, that he wanted to use me and that he had so much more for me than what I was currently pursuing. And I just remember in that moment thinking, God, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Nothing about my life for like the last five years has, has really glorified you in any way. I've done pretty much all I can to push you away and, and rebel from you. I, I don't deserve for you to meet me here. I don't deserve for you to intervene in my life like you're doing right now. But, but he met me in my mess, and, and I felt like he said, come on, let's move forward together. Let's move forward together. I'm not here to dwell on where you've been. I'm here to call you to something better. And I don't want to make it sound like I then got off scot-free, right? There were repercussions for many of my actions, which we'll talk about later. But God, in that moment, he just met me, he picked me up, he led me, and he began to shape me and mold me. And in today's passage, we're going to find the Israelites in their own complicated mess, created by their own actions and their own poor decisions. But as we've seen in the previous two weeks, God's beautiful, faithful character shines through, and he's willing to work with them where they are at. So have a look with me. We're in, we're in Malachi chapter 2. We're starting in verse 10, and uh, the verses will be on the screen as well if you want to follow along, but feel free to follow along in your Bibles or on your phones. Um, and where we are next is, is this next dispute between God and Israelites. We've, we've followed two disputes, and this is the third one. And so this is what it says. It says, Are we not all children of the same father? Are we not all created by the same God? Then why do we betray each other, violating the covenant of our ancestors? Judah has been unfaithful, and a detestable thing has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's beloved sanctuary by marrying women who worship idols. May the Lord cut off from the nation of Israel every last man who has done this and yet brings an offering to the Lord of heaven's armies. Here is another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and he doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and in spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. You know, it's clear here in our passage that the men of Israel have made a real mess of their marriages, right? Marrying women who, who worship other, other gods or being unfaithful to their wives. You know, God has seen this and he's not pleased. He's not pleased. And the consequences for some of these things are, are pretty severe, right? May the Lord cut off from the nation of Israel every last man who has done this and yet brings an offering to the Lord of heaven's armies. 
You know, that's, that's a pretty permanent consequence to be facing with no immediate apparent way to remedy that, right? No way out, it would seem. And so this whole situation is not good. It's not good. But again, as I've previously said, as we've seen in the, in the previous two weeks, if we look a little closer and we go a little deeper, there is far more going on here than just God's disappointment and judgment. At face value, it's easy to read this passage and, and think, oh, yeah, it's just God telling the Israelites off again for some more inappropriate behavior. And fair enough, too, that is part of what he is doing, right? That is taking place here. But as we look closer, again, we will see God's beautiful, patient, understanding, faithful character. If you remember in the, in the first week, uh, I talked about how the book of Malachi is separated into six different disputes. Each time God makes an accusation against the people of Israel, and then the people often question that accusation, um, and then God has his final say of what is going to happen going forward. And these verses that we have read uh, this morning, they are considered to be one dispute. They're one dispute. And so we could try to separate these out into two marriage issues of the idol-worshipping wives and the unfaithful husbands. Um, but when we do that, there is no hope whatsoever for the men with wives who worship idols. They are cut off, and that's the result of, of their actions, and there's no apparent way out. But when we read this passage as one dispute between God and the people, what we come to see is that the expectations in verses 15 and 16 are actually his expectations for everybody that he addresses here in this dispute. Whether they were the husband of a wife who worshipped idols or a husband who had been unfaithful, this was God's final commandment for them. It was to guard their hearts and to not be unfaithful to their wives. And that was his expectation for everybody here. You know, God, he makes clear how disappointed he is about these men's decisions. And rightfully so, right? They've really messed up. But I also really love this passage because of God's willingness to meet them where they are at and work within the mess that they had created and lead them towards something better. God calls out the Israelite men for their inappropriate behavior, and if it continues as is, there will be some very serious consequences like being cut off from the nation of Israel. But he isn't saying these things to seal these men to their doom, and he doesn't come and, and try to undo what they have done. Instead, he meets them in the broken place that he finds them, and he says, come on, let's move forward together. Guard your heart. Be faithful to your wives. And we'll unpack what some of the, those specifics mean later on in this passage, as I'm sure these verses bring up a number of questions, like what if the woman who had been cheated on wanted to leave their husbands? Or, you know, how do we make sense of God saying that he hates divorce? And so we will look at those things in a little bit. But before we get into the nitty-gritty, I just want us to soak in and see that broader truth that all of us can take away, whether we're married or we're not. And that is that God is a God who will meet us in our mess and show us a better way forward. Because he is faithful, he is merciful, he loves us, he is good, and he wants what is best for us. You know, that's the kind of God that we find here in the passage that we're exploring this morning, and it's the kind of God who is present with us as we worship him here this morning. A God who wants to meet with you, who wants to move forward with you. You know, there's like men had really messed up, and God says, I've seen your mess, and, and it is messy. It is messy, but it's time to make some changes. Guard your heart, be faithful to your wives. Let's move forward. You know, what has been done can't be undone, right? But let's move into spaces where no more damage needs to be done than already has. You know, these, these men do not deserve this. The situations that they're in, are the situations that um, are a result of their own actions, right, or of their own poor decisions. But God meets them in, their mercy, in his mercy, and he's willing to work with the mess 
that they have made. And so if you're finding yourself in a place at the moment where uh, you're feeling a bit stuck, you uh, feel like your behavior has ruined your relationship with God, or that you've done too much to receive forgiveness from him, that's not true. It's not true. It's true that we don't deserve a relationship with God, right? But in his incredible faithfulness, love, and mercy, God sees our mess, but says, come on, let's move forward out of this together. Let's move together. Let's guard your heart and move forward into healthier spaces. The mess that has been made has been made, and there may be some natural repercussions because of that, right, which we'll talk about in a moment. But God is a merciful God that is keen to lead you out of the space that you're in. And when I think of this truth, it also reminds me of when Jesus called his disciples together, right? You think of Matthew, he was a tax collector who had betrayed his people, and Jesus called him to follow him. One of the Judases was a zealot, which basically meant he was an extremist Jew uh, who would have frequently been involved in things like assassinations. And later, when Paul is called to be an apostle, um, he was murdering Christians, right? That was kind of his, his purpose right there in that moment. And so God is all about meeting people in messy places and leading them into something better. And so you may find it hard to believe that God would want to meet you where you're at. That might be something that just feels like it just you don't deserve that. But he used messy people like me and you to build his church and spread his good news. He's got a habit of meeting people in messy places, and we see him doing that here with the men of Israel. And so I don't know what that looks like for you right now. I don't know what space God needs to meet you in. Um, you know, maybe it's an unhealthy regular use of pornography. Maybe it's the way you're texting a, a specific individual. Uh, maybe you've got an, untamed anger towards your family. Maybe there's a past addiction or a habit that just keeps weighing on your heart and, and calling your name and you're finding it hard to let go. I don't know what it is, but whatever the reason is, you believe God doesn't want anything to do with you. That's a lie of the enemy. That's a lie. God sees you. He sees your mess, and it breaks his heart to see you there. But he is so keen to meet you there and work with you to move out of that place into somewhere healthier. That's who he is. That's who he is. He is so merciful. He is so faithful, far more than we deserve. And so how should we respond to that? How should we respond to that? What should we do? Well, what God commands these men to do to help them get out of these unhealthy spaces and stay out of them is to guard their hearts, right? Guard their hearts and be faithful to their wives. God meets them, and then he gives them a task to do to move into healthier spaces. So what might that look like for us? How do we guard our hearts? No matter what it is, right? Not just talking about unfaithfulness here, but any of the previous things that I mentioned, like what you watch online or who and how you're texting or... Um, you know, out-of-control anger or um, just whatever the vice is that kind of grips you and holds on to you and um, you find it hard to get yourself out of and let go of. Um, how do we guard ourselves from those sorts of things? How do we guard ourselves from returning to that thing? Well, I think one of the most important things um, to guard our hearts from, uh, to, from falling back into those temptations uh, or those habits that continue to call our name is to make sure other people know. We've got to make sure other people know. It's not good to carry those sorts of struggles alone, and it makes it much harder to guard your heart when you are the only one who knows what you're going through. A while back, I had the privilege of um, doing some counseling through Mind Health to, to work through some stuff that was bothering me from my past. And uh, amongst that, I had uh, the opportunity to share with the counselor some struggles that were in my mind uh, that I felt had maybe developed from some of the things uh, that I needed to discuss from the past. 
And for years and years, um, I never really talked to anybody about those things, and I kept them to myself, and I carried them alone, and I wasn't really sure what to do with them. And man, just the act of telling somebody else, just the act of sharing that with somebody else, that in itself lifted a massive weight from my shoulders. It was, it was massive. It was huge. Just knowing another person now knows who can ask me about these things, who can challenge me on these things, who can advise me on these things, uh, that was a massive deal and, and played a huge role in the healing process. Like, that would take a big chunk of that. Like, just that in itself um, really changed things for me. And so if there's something you've got to work to guide your heart from, someone needs to know. Someone needs to know. And one of the ways we might be able to help you do that here uh, at Crossroads is through our mentoring framework. You know, if you submit your name on our website, if you go to that link down there at the bottom, um, we will work hard to find you a mentor that can meet with you one-on-one to discuss what's going on in your life. Someone to listen, someone to ask questions, someone to pray with you, someone to encourage you. You know, I reckon a mentoring relationship is a fantastic way of guarding your heart as you've got another person who is, is willing to take on the responsibility of trying to help you guard it and be there for you. You know, for me, like I said earlier, uh, having a mentor was one of the key reasons I couldn't totally walk away from faith like I had planned. It really had a, a profound impact on me. And so I think having a, a mentor is incredibly valuable. Otherwise, if that's not the route you want to take, a close friend or a family member or even possibly your spouse uh, could be good options to confide these things in, depending on what they are. Uh, But whatever it is, uh, I just reckon someone needs to know. Someone needs to know what's on your heart. Someone needs to know what you're trying to guard it from. I think it's also important for us to avoid, uh, where possible, things that may trigger stronger temptations to enter back into a habit. For, for example, what we watch can really matter, and so if there are certain shows that you know the content will trigger certain temptations for you, uh, then I would recommend not watching it. I'd recommend not watching it, no matter how popular it is, no matter how many people are talking about it, if it's not going to be healthy for you, just, just don't watch it. You know, another example could be that maybe there are certain people you shouldn't spend one-on-one time with based on the direction conversations have gone on in the past, or, or maybe where your mind is at when you spend time with them. Um, you may need to do that to protect yourself from, going, from things going further than you would like them to. Or, or maybe there are certain places that you shouldn't go for a while uh, that would uh, be tempting and, and, and you know, start to direct you back into certain habits. Like, for example, if you um, used to struggle with drinking more than is appropriate, then there'll be certain places that you probably want to avoid for, for some time, right, while you, while you work through that. You know, I think if we can identify some trigger points that would make it hard for us to stay resilient, uh, then we should probably avoid those scenarios. Or at least continue to confide in the person that we have shared our struggles with, like our mentor, if for whatever reason that situation is unavoidable. Like maybe there's a coworker that you enjoy the company of a little bit too much, share that with that person so they can keep you accountable and they can check in with you and that sort of thing. You know, just share the things um, that you find hard with another person and avoid the scenarios where possible uh, to guard your heart. And if the urge and temptation to do something unhealthy is still strong and it's still consuming your thoughts, then I would highly recommend counselling to work through some of those things with a professional. Mind Health is who we primarily uh, use here at Crossroads, which are a a fantastic Christian-based practice. And as I mentioned in the first week, uh, if you're a student, we receive funding from an awesome organization uh, to put you through counseling with Mind Health, and and they cover the cost of that. It's free of charge. So so that's a great option for students. Uh, But there could be other options for for financial assistance if you aren't a student and you think doing something like this would be really helpful to you. 
um, just email Joe at uh, joe at crossroads.co.nz or come and talk to one of us pastors and we can uh, start that journey with you. Um, or just have a look at their website. Have a look at their website and check out if that what they offer you, would be helpful to you. Uh, and that might just be a journey you want to start yourself if that's something that's affordable for you to just book that in and, and do that. You know, if we're going to guard our hearts, then, then we need to put some things in place to help us do that. And I think some of the ways we can do that is through letting others know what we're guarding our hearts from so they can support us in that, avoiding things where possible that would wear down our resilience, and speaking to professionals if, um, you know, if things don't subside after trying the other two things for, for a number of time, um, it would be good to then speak to somebody. And of course, the most important element of this is a continual healthy relationship with God. And if you were with us last week, as Nathan put it, just continuously laying everything out before God and saying, is there anything here that's not of you? Is there anything here that I need to let go of, that I need to hand over to you? You know, I, and I think a, a regular time of prayer and reading God's word and worship and fellowship with others is a really helpful part of keeping God at the forefront of our decisions and our thoughts, allowing his voice to be clearly heard when we find ourselves in places of temptation. And so keep God close. Keep God close and include him in your journey of healing and guarding your heart. You know, God is a God who will meet us in our mess and he will show us a better way forward. But he also asks us to respond. And one of the first things he asks the men of Israel to do is to guard their hearts. And so I think it would be a good thing for us also to do, to keep that at the forefront of our mind that that's what we need to do. You know, we are so blessed uh, that God meets us in our mess and prompts us to turn things around, uh, but we've got to respond. We've got to respond and take action from those promptings as God leads us into healthier places. There will be effort that will need to be needed from our end as well and be on our part. But, you know, I've said something similar before um, in, in a sermon a long time ago. If God will meet us in our mess, we can be confident he will lead us out of it. Right? And so responding to those promptings that we receive from God and, and doing things like guarding our heart, it's not something that we do all on our own. Right? As followers of Jesus, God's Spirit is a part of the whole process and is there to lead us and guide us. God's mercy isn't just there for the initial encounter with Him. You know, He will continue to mercifully lead us and meet us as we continue the journey of living in a healthier manner. And so there's going to be some stuff we need to do, but we can be confident that God will be with us in it, and he will lead us through it. But I do want to clarify, I do want to clarify, because I think this is really important, that God meeting us in our mess doesn't mean he lets us off the hook of consequences and repercussions. You know, God asks the men to remain loyal to their wives, but in their honor and shame culture, the wife could put pressure on and shame her husband into giving her a certificate of divorce if she wanted. And you know, Jesus, he later clarifies in Matthew, he says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And so according to Jesus, adultery was reasonable grounds for divorce. And so it would have been fair and reasonable, um, a fair and reasonable repercussion if the wives did put pressure on for a divorce to these unfaithful men. And you may be thinking and saying, but God says he hates divorce, right? We just read that. He says he hates it. So that doesn't seem like that's actually an option, right? That doesn't seem like that's something we should be able to do. But what we often misinterpret when we read that God hates divorce is we think that God hates or is angry towards the people who get divorced. But that's not what God-hating divorce means. What it means is God hates what divorce does. 
He hates what it does. He hates the pain that it causes. He hates the damage that it does. You know, God says, he says, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. You know, in that time, unfortunately, there weren't many opportunities for women outside of marriage. And so to divorce your wife meant you were likely condemning her to quite a difficult life or you were having to send her home to her family. And God really hated that. He really hated that, right? And so the wife could push for a divorce if she wanted one. And Jesus says that adultery is a reasonable reason for it. But God just hates that it came to that. He just hates that it had to come to that. I think he understands, right? And he's not angry at the wife for that, as it was the actions of the husband that led to it. But God just hates seeing things have to come to that. And that's why he calls the men out on their behavior at this point, right? Because he doesn't want things to lead to that point. He wants them to change. He wants them to make a difference. You know, God recognizes that in this situation, it is the fault of the men, and he hates that they have done things that could lead to divorce. And so the wife could push for divorce, and that would be a repercussion of the actions of the men, right? That could be something that might take place and something that they would have to face. Also, for the men who had wives who were worshiping other gods, if this continued, then the men, they would be cut off from the community of Israel. We saw that that was going to be a repercussion. And so if the men decide that that's not going to happen in their household anymore, if they decide we're not going to do that, we're not going to worship other gods, uh, their wives may also choose to leave. Because if they are wives who worship other gods, then they were not brought up under Jewish law, and so they have no obligation to it. And so if that's something that he requires, then they may decide to go. And so that's another thing that they may have to face. It may be something they have to go through. You know, for myself and my actions through my high school years, uh, it meant that there were some important conversations that needed to be had uh, before I got married. It meant that there were apologies that I needed to send and to have, uh, uh, say, in person to to people that I treated unfairly. Uh, And my choices and and my decisions, they have affected my life in a number of different ways since then, right? There's something I've had to take on board. And so God, he, he meets us in our mess, and he wants to help us move into healthier spaces. But man, if you've hurt people, then you've got to take accountability for that. You've got to take accountability for that. You know, you've got to face the consequences of your actions. I don't think it's appropriate to say, well, God has forgiven me and he's helping me, therefore we should all just be moving on together, right? No. That's, that's cool for you, but the healing process for the person who has been hurt and the, and the healing process for the person who's done the hurting is very different. And uh, if you're the person who has done the hurting, Uh, which is a pretty broad statement, right? It could include a number of different things like bullying, abuse, manipulation, selfishness, bitterness, and more. Uh, Then you've got to own up to that. You've got to own up to that, and you have to face the consequences for that. And if the people that you have hurt want to forgive you, then that is up to them, and, and that would be great. But if they don't, you've got to live with that. And depending on what we're talking about here depends on what the consequences of those actions would be. You know, for the unfaithful men of this chapter, it would mean needing to work hard to rebuild and mend their relationships with their wives and possibly face the pressure for divorce. For the men with wives who worship idols, it meant having to work hard to redirect their family's focus towards God with the potential that their wife might leave in the process. And so God meeting us and leading us is not a get-out-of-jail-free card for the pain and hurt that we have caused other people. It's just an opportunity to bring us to a place where further pain and hurt doesn't have to be caused. Which is mind-blowing, right? It's mind-blowing because obviously we don't deserve that. Obviously we don't deserve that, but that's who God is and that's what he's willing to do. He's willing to meet us. He's willing to work with us. So we no longer have to be stuck in places where we continue to hurt ourselves, others, or both. Right? It may be a long road to mend the damage that has been done, as it would have been for these Israelite men. Right? They had a big task ahead of them, a lot of work to do. 
And there may be some consequences that we need to face, but God is willing to work with us through that, walk with us through that, and lead us through what needs to be done to make things right. You know, when God, going back to the disciples, when God called the apostle Paul, many people for a long time questioned Paul's legitimacy as an apostle after all the damage he had done to the Christian community. And Paul, he had to work hard to rectify that. But God met him and he led him into far better spaces and places. But, you know, I think the thing that we really need to consider and take away is that those things are something we need to consider. Those are things that we will need to take away that are going to happen and will become a reality for us a further, down the, a further down the line as we begin the journey of healing with God. But right now, as we get ready to wrap up and invite the worship team, we first of all just need to let God meet with us. We just need to let him meet with us. To let God be present in our mess right here, right now. Those other parts of the journey will come, like guarding our hearts and, and owning up to the consequences and facing them. But right now, as we did in the first week of the series, just let God meet with you. Just let God meet with you and let you know that he loves you and he always has. He knows what you've done. He knows where you've been. But it doesn't change how he feels about you. It doesn't change what he wants to do for you. He wants to lead you into something better. He wants what is best for you. And so that's why he wants to meet with you today. If you remember last week as Nathan was talking to us and we read through the passage, um, God was accusing Israel of making inappropriate and disrespectful sacrifices. And God says, the reason I set up the sacrificial system for you was so that you could have life and peace. Life and peace. He just wants what's best for us. He just wants what's best. And so as we get ready to worship, would you just let God meet with you? Just let him meet with you. You don't have to hide. You don't have to keep him at an arm's length because of what you've done or, or what you are doing. You know, if, if you're tired of, of feeling that weight of sin like I did through my high school years and, and tired of constantly having um, to wrestle with a guilty conscience um, or with dissatisfaction with your actions, um, then just let God in. Let God in. Let him meet with you. Let him speak to you. Let him hold you. Let him guide you. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. And stay in that place for as long as you need to. You know, I'm the kind of person that I like to think about, right, what's next? What do we need to do from here? Okay, we need to guard our hearts. We need to face the consequences. Let's go. Let's do it. Uh, but man, just that moment of God meeting with you and, and feeling that unconditional love he has for you, sometimes we just need to sit in that for a little bit. Sometimes we just need to let that soak in and, and enjoy that and truly come to know that and just let it wash over us. And so now as, as we prepare to continue to worship, my prayer is that this time of singing uh, would be exactly that sort of moment for you. That like how God met with me in that time, all those years ago when I was 17, that he would just meet with you and just make himself known, make his presence known and just let you know that he's here, he sees where you're at, he wants, you to, he wants to lead you into something better. You know, that he would say, I see your mess, but I'm here and I want to lead you out of it. So let's pray together. And then as we worship, let's just invite God in and let him just be amongst what we're, what's going on for us and where we're at. And let him speak to us and lead us and make his love known. Dear Lord, we're, we're so grateful for, for time in your word this morning. We're so grateful for your unconditional love. We're so grateful for your mercy that even when we intentionally make decisions uh, that aren't good for us, when we intentionally make decisions that we know are against what you want for us, 
you're willing to step back in again and say, hey, I see what you've done, but I want to lead you into something better. I want to lead you back to me. I want to lead you into something healthy. We're so grateful for that kind of mercy, Lord. We know we don't deserve it. We know we haven't done anything that means you owe it to us, but, but you freely give it, you pour it out, and we are so, so grateful for that. We were reminded earlier, Lord, as we spent time in communion of, of how far you would go to do that when you gave your life for us on the cross, and, and we are so grateful. So I just pray, Lord, that as we worship now, that you would just be amongst us as you already have been, and you would just make yourself known, and you would just meet us and, and just let us know, Lord. And if there's anybody here that just doesn't believe that that's true, that, that you would want to meet them, that you would want to lead them, I just pray that you would overpower those lies, that you would just fill them with your truth, with your peace, and that together as a church community, Lord, we would move into the spaces uh, that you desire for us and the places that we actually really want to be and the best kind of life that we can live. And so we just give this time of, of worship to you now, Lord, and, and ask for you to speak amongst it. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.